the teaching ministry of Judah Olorimai, a man called of God to compel consecration, provoke repentance, and inspire worship by the preaching and teaching of God's word and the miraculous demonstration of God's power. God's word is about to hit you as light and strength. Get ready for an encounter with grace. Discussing a profound Christian doctrine. I've been so blessed just studying the concept myself. So blessed, so blessed, so blessed. It's not a popular doctrine, but it's such a useful conversation. And um, I want to encourage you to pay attention. This kind of teaching, like I said, is not popular, but you'll be a better Christian when you understand it thoroughly, not just for yourself, but when you understand it to a point where you can explain it to others. You can explain this. We're teaching you this thing not just for you, but so that you can explain it to others. So it's not about just understanding it. Try and pay attention to the way the explanation comes. The various technicalities of expressions so that in conveying the same to others, you will not say the wrong things or say the right things in the wrong way. Are we clear on that? So generally we are discussing the Christian and suffering. Alright? Or suffering and the Christian. We want to discuss that in the next five weeks as God will give us all trends. Every Wednesday we'll be unraveling that subject. But for today, I will teach on the origin and the source of sufferings. The origin and the source of suffering. Even some of the things I will say, foundationally, will not really address the origin and source, but eventually we will have to get to a point where we really answer the question of what is the source? What is the cause? Who is the origin of human suffering? First Peter chapter 4. And um, that's going to be a general text. We are going to be looking at that scripture, referencing it again and again as we unfold in the conversation, or as the conversation unfolds. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12 to verse 16. It is a very, it's a very, it's a very striking portion of scripture. Very, very striking portion of scripture. Read it soberly. Read it um, agreeing that this is the word of God. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Everybody say Christ's sufferings. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Verse 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. The word happy is blessed or fortunate or enviable. For the spirit of glory and of God rested upon you on their parts, that is, on the parts of those who persecute you, who reproach you. He is evil spoken of 
but on your parts. E is glorified. The word E that you see even in the King James in small letter is referring to God. So actually it's supposed to be the proper rendition should be that in the capital letter because it's referring to God. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evil doer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Verse 16, yet if any man suffer as a Christian. Tell your neighbor if you will suffer. Suffer as a Christian. Tell him again. If you will suffer. If you will suffer. Make sure you suffer as a Christian. So if any man suffer as a Christian. Let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God. On this behalf. That, that's a very solid framework. To what we want to view. And what we want to consider. In the entire month. And the entire discourse. Of the Christian and suffering. For tonight though, the origin or the source of suffering is the topic. Let us quickly pray one more time. Holy Spirit, give us understanding. Let your word not waste over us. Let there be transformation by your utterances. Let there be conviction. Make us better and solid Christians after this teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Okay. The origin of suffering. It is no longer news that many people who used to be Christians, who used to be good Christians, serious Christians, fervent Christians, are no longer that. It is no longer news. It is no longer a thing of surprise to meet somebody who used to know as a very serious Christian, a very committed Christian who has seemingly dropped out. There is a lame agreement that suggests that anybody who drops out of the Christian faith was never a Christian. But you cannot reconcile that with some of the portions in your Bible. It tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that in the last days, many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And whether the faith refers to authentic doctrines of the Christian life or the Christian life itself, the Bible clearly teaches that based on some of the things that will happen in the last days, many will depart from the faith. The Bible speaks about perilous times, seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. All of these things combine to ensure that people are no longer um, as serious or as firm or as established in the Christian faith as they used to be. You are a young person here young man, young woman, in your age gap brackets will notice that perhaps the most popular ideology in our generation is atheism. Whether the subtle form or the aggressive form, a lot of people are subscribing to a form of atheism. In other words, many people are denying the existence of God. I'm not saying they don't come to church. I'm not saying they don't have Christian names. I'm not saying they don't attend Christian weddings. I'm not saying they don't listen to Asha and Christian songs. I'm saying when you begin to check what they think, how they talk, you hear Christians say, leave Bible aside, let's face reality. You hear Christians say, forget scripture. This is real life. They are employing or they are adopting an atheistic view and ideology. It's a trending popular philosophy that has come upon this age. You cannot deny it. You go on Twitter, you see it everywhere. You won't talk to preachers. 
I mean, someone was sharing that he was talking with somebody who was as it were, a preacher, and he was quoting the Bible to the person. Said, this is what the Bible says in this place. And the person just said, forget that one. So he opened the Bible and read it out. I said, he didn't hear me. I said, the Bible said, he said, leave that one. So he said, hold on. This is the Bible. You're a pastor. I said, the Bible said, he said, I know that the Bible said it, but I'm saying right now, it is not important as far as I'm concerned. Preachers are discarding the authority of scriptures, adopting atheistic views, or suggesting that God's opinion does not matter. Many people may say, well, God exists. I do not believe that God is dead or that God is alive, but God is not that important. Let me tell you this. If you do not agree to the authority of God, you do not agree to the existence of God. God will not exist as someone without authority. There is no, if he's someone, a deity, a being that does not carry authority, then he's non-existent. It's either God is accepted as God, or he's not accepted at all. Now, many people may blame things like end time, sedition spirits, um, a lot of excuses that can be given to suggest why many vibrant, fervent Christians are seemingly dropping out of the faith. The theologian, Dr. Brown, recently wrote a book or released a book. I am really looking forward to reading that book. And he titled it, Why Many People Left the Faith. Or something like that. Why many Christians have left the faith. You can blame it on things like end time, Satan is working hard. But one of the things we must come to terms with is that modern Christianity has failed to answer difficult questions in the hearts of intellectuals. And so the average young person, the average reader, the average mind that is exposed to external information, by external information, I mean information that are not biblical. Once they are exposed to external information, they become confused. They become weakened. They become inquisitive and they want answers to questions. But the modern church is not structured in a way that gives answers to tough questions or in a way that even confronts tough questions. There are many tough questions. Now, listen to me. People that have been in church for the last 20 years, it's possible they have existed in church. Are you still following me? And they have so many questions they have never had an opportunity to ask. Because, one, they are afraid of how the church will react to their question. Questioning church authority now looks like rebellion. How can you be asking pastor that kind of thing? Are you trying to question God? What is that name they give God in Yoruba that talks about him being unquestionable? Is there a Yoruba cliche that describes... Kabiosi, that's, that's the, that's the literal meaning of it. Is it? Please. Kabiosi, that means what? Unquestionable God. Is that what it means? Literally, what does it mean? There's no God like you, Abi. Kabiosi, there's no asking you. There's no questioning you. Yeah, some of those Yorubas are very deep. You have to really understand the context of the, of the phrase. Well, we are used to that. God is God. Somebody dies, and somebody, don't ask questions. God is God. You cannot ask God 
why he died. Somebody's born blind. Don't ask God any question. That's Yoruba culture cliche has dominated our, our, our theology. So, God cannot be questioned. God's messengers cannot be questioned. God's representatives cannot be questioned. People who speak on behalf of God cannot be questioned. Because we, we, we are forming you know, form an environment that makes it look as though inquisitive is a crime. And it's not true. That's why the average young person who begins to explore his inquisitive instinct meets the church and finds that we are not ready to answer questions. We are offended at questions. So they say, if you are not ready, then I'm dropping out. Are we still together? I just remember that the current president-elect of this country did not engage in any debate. And you, you, you have to, you see, it, let's leave that one, let's leave that one. But the point is that questions must be asked. How can we say we are sure of our faith? Our faith is not a scam, it's not a mirage. The things in this book are certain and true, and we are afraid of taking questions. How can we? People ask Jesus questions. He mentioned about being born again. They asked him, how can a man enter his mother's womb? He didn't dismiss the question and say, you are not there. You don't know anything. He began to suggest that, well, the thing I'm going to say Hello? Is the battery weak? Are we still together? Yes, sir. Initially, John Tilly suggested that the things he was going to say were quite heavenly, but he attempted to answer. He spoke about being born of the Spirit and being, you know, been born of water. People, Pharisees, I came with implicating questions. Who should we pay tax to? Jesus didn't hide. Jesus didn't run away. Jesus didn't avoid questions. The apostles asked him questions. Explain the parable to us. As long as Christianity, modern Christianity, is set up to dismiss inquisition, we are going to produce weak believers. We are always going to have people who will live our environment who will no longer subscribe to church. If we can't provide answers to tough questions, let's close the church. It's not just about some empty, shallow faith. Our faith is based on a reality that can be proved. Not just with religious creatures, but with logic that can be explained. Logic that can be explained. speaking, if we do more Christian debates, we will convert, we will convert the generation Z more than if we do more Christian conferences, music, music, music meetings. And the we are doing are not, we are not giving any answer. There are many who come in those meetings who have answers. They come and their answers triple. They have more answers, more questions rather. They are wondering why does somebody asks a question <laughs> yesterday, and I just smiled and scrolled past, and he says, "Why do women?" fall under the anointing more than men. We need to begin to have answers. And yes, I minister mean, charismatically, I know mean, it is true. Why? You cannot just say, eh, I don't know, it's just what it is. <laughs> People will mock and ridicule our faith if we don't provide real answers to tough questions. Why do women fall under the anointing faster than men? Why do we have a group of 100 people if 60 people fall under the anointing, maybe 45 of them are women? Why? What is the explanation to that? Why can't you run away from us and say, only God knows. Thou knowest, oh God. No. 
We are God's people. We are God's church. We are God's messengers. We are God's mouthpiece. We must have answers. Are you listening to me? The teaching of George in the days of Israel was that when the people came inquiring the opinion of God, the judge provided an answer. If there's a dispute to settle, what is God's opinion about this? The judge provided an answer. So, many of the people departing from the faith today is because we are not answering the tough questions that they are posing to us. That's why we must be learned. We must learn doctrine. We must understand the Christian faith. The average Christian someone, let me say the way I wrote it here, is just a spiced up, false hope, religious jamboree hype that does not bring any conviction to deep thinkers who have more questions than answers. Let me say that again. The average modern Christian sermon is just a false hope. God will bless you. God will prosper you. People are just shouting. There is no substance that brings conviction and gives answers to the questions of the intellectual mind. It may sell among illiterates, but by the time people begin to ask questions, we have no answers. We have not been trained to have we used to have Sunday school, Bible study. We have scrapped that now. We have six services every, every Sunday. One hour, one hour. We come and hear. We don't ask questions. No questions. You only share testimonies. That's all. No questions. You say amen. You share testimony. You go home. No questions. In Jewish days, the way they teach is by question and answer. The normal Jewish section of teaching is that the students ask a question, the teacher talks. That's why the average teacher in the Jewish time does not come with a note. What will determine what he says is what the student asks. <laughs> what you ask. So Paul went to the synagogue, you have a question about the legitimacy of Jesus with your son, he will not, you ask it, I will not open the scripture and prove it for you. I don't come with a, a, a small note. You ask questions, then I give answers. That's how learning happens. But these days it's now a taboo to ask questions. That's why we can't explain basic things. We can't. Uh, people who are asking questions find us very boring, very unbelievable, very, I mean, unfactual. Like, what are you doing? You are doing something you cannot prove. Are you listening to me? I may not give you the microphone to ask questions all the time. I do that sometimes. But this conversation we are going to make is to provoke your mind. Read the Bible, ask questions. Read the Bible, ask questions. Why is this so? Why is it not the other way? You will not grow if you are not asking questions. You may not ask me, but you can ask the Holy Spirit. You can even ask Google. Some of you need to really research. You need to live as learned people. Be learned in your mentality, in your disposition. Be learned. Learned does not mean you have certificates. I was just saying it today that the, the, the literacy level in Nigeria is so, is, so, is, so, is so high. You see PhD holders who are honestly daft. Because when you hear them talk about certain things that are so obvious, you wonder, and you have PhD. Because even our educational system, let's leave church, even the way we teach in school, you don't answer that question, just come, yes sir, you understand, yes sir, yes sir, yes ma'am. We cannot be smart like this. Are you still listening to me? One of the subjects that has been consistently avoided by the modern church is the subject of suffering. 
we are not providing sufficient answers on the subject matter of suffering. We are not. People are asking questions. One of the first things an atheist would use to treat the Christian is to say, if God is alive, why does suffering exist? Let me ask you that question. Is God alive? Why does suffering exist? Answer yourself. I know the answer, but can you, can you answer yourself in a way that if you came to argue, you would be satisfied with the argument? That this is a reasonable argument. Or will you just say, just believe, have faith? You can't win the next generation with that kind of a cliche. Just believe. Which one is just believe? If somebody came to Jesus and said, Jesus, thou art true and thou speakest righteously. Thou claimest that there is God. But if there is God, why are there many sick people? Why are there many suffering people? The argument is also buttressed with the fact that if God exists, He exists as an all-powerful God. Is that not so? Do you believe God exists? Do you believe God is all-powerful? So God exists. He's all-powerful. Godly. God is loving. Is God loving? How does an all-powerful, loving God Allow suffering to continue. We have to give answers. We have to give answers. Not just superficial answers. But answers that can bring conviction to believers who are probably not established and to unbelievers who are asking these questions. You cannot be a solid Christian and be ignorant about the subject of suffering. You don't know anything. Christians know about faith, Christians know about prosperity, but you don't know what the Bible says about suffering. I'm telling you that the 80s will most likely ask you about suffering before he asks you about prosperity. The 80s, the person who does not believe in your God, will most likely ask you a question with respect to suffering, than prosperity, than faith, than power. The first thing he will check, and I will show you why that is so. The first thing he will use to investigate your faith is, what about this case of suffering? Do you know, there is virtually no New Testament book that does not address the subject of suffering. So you can't say you are learned in God's word and you cannot give answers about suffering. <laughs> Almost every New Testament book covers the subject. Acts chapter 5 and verse 41. They beat them. I'm just going to quote and reference whatever it was said there. Just to show you the consistency of the subject. And the Bible says they rejoice that they were worthy to suffer for his name's sake. Now that's something interesting. We do not talk about this enough. That's why many people these days cannot relate with rejoicing after suffering for Christ's sake. We only talk about the fact that the Christian will be blessed. The Christian will prosper. The Christian will enjoy. God will pamper the Christian. Me, I know God suffer. I know go back for bread. That's the dominant thing that we talk about. So it is strange for us to read that people were flogged for Christ's sake and they rejoiced. It's a strange thing. But it's in scriptures. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17 speaks about how we are going to share his glory. We partake in his suffering. We read that in First Peter chapter 4 also. 
you can't separate suffering from the concept of paternity. Or you, can't, you cannot separate the concept of, 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 of suffering from Christianity. You can't. It's all over. There's no way you would dodge it. In fact, there are some things reserved for those who choose to suffer for righteousness. You will not. There are some goodies and glories only for those who suffer for righteousness. This convenient Christianity that does not want to suffer is why we are producing <laughs> believers that a tweet, a, a tweet will make them renounce Jesus. A tweet from an atheist. Believers who will go to Canada and say there's nothing like God, Joe. Because once you taste small, there's no leopard does not take light. They give you free scoofies. What are we praying for? Are you listening to me? First Corinthians 12 and verse 26. Paul speaks about if the members of the body suffers, we should also suffer with them. Sharing of suffering, mutual suffering. These are concepts that have gone extinct. In the Nigerian church, the Westerners are enjoying for their mind. The Northern Christians are persecuted and killed, and they feel like, ah, eh, we, we are okay. Yeah, people say, no matter what happens, I'll be fine. Because your father was not kidnapped. Your <laughs> father was not kidnapped, so you can't, you can't talk anyhow, no? <laughs> you are here, no? Go to Meduguri and say it. Go and see IDB camps where people have been maimed and killed. You won't say that kind of insensitive thing. Don't say it like that. Some of the things we say, even in the name of faith, just that it is insensitivity. And it's because subjects such as mutual suffering have not been taught. If one member suffers, the other member suffers with him. First Corinthians 12, are we there? I want to be sure that that is what is on the screen. If one member is honored, the other person is honored with it. We don't understand this subject anymore. We even flaunt our wealth and luxury to a suffering Christian. And we tell them, God will be your own. Don't worry, don't worry. We don't know this. We don't know. We don't really know this thing. Every book of the New Testament, you see the emphasis. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 11. Say, why do I still suffer persecution if I still preach circumcision? In other words, preaching circumcision will bring you convenience. In the context of this verse, those who persecuted believers were the circumcision. They were the Jewish legalists. And one of the ways to trigger their wrath was to preach Jesus instead of preaching legalism of if you are not circumcised, you will not be saved. Paul was saying the proof that I'm not preaching what they are preaching is that I'm persecuted. There are many preachers who cannot be persecuted because what they are preaching cannot trigger any persecution. Cannot trigger any suffering. What they are preaching is a convenient gospel. Ice cream preaching. You, you go through the media and those of men of God and you laugh. Who Muslims are liking the post? <laughs> Just laugh. It, it was not offend anybody. <laughs> it was not offend anybody. Who Muslims say, I like this man of God. 
I like it. His, his motivational talk is very inspiring. <laughs> if I preach this circumcision, I will not be persecuted. I will not suffer persecution. The reason I'm suffering persecution is because what I preach offends the flesh. It offends the arrogant, religious, proud folk. It is the gospel and offense to them that perish. Are you listening to me? Second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 25. About five verses there, Paul began to speak about his own sufferings for the sake of the gospel. He talked about being beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked. Night and day, he has been in the deep. All of these things he suffered because of the gospel that he preached. Modern Christianity cannot boast of any, any famous name who constantly experiences suffering. I can say that emphatically. I can say that emphatically. There is probably nobody who is a popular name in the body of Christ today who constantly goes through the persecution. Everybody is playing safe. We want to shake hands with the kings. We want contracts from government. We can't talk. Everybody is playing safe. <laughs> That's why you see the system of the Christian brand is so perverse. So the real heroes of the early church, the fathers of those days, one of the signs was the mark of suffering. <laughs> you can't be a hero and not suffer for Christ. How wonderful you hero? It's just to be a God's general, just make sure you have certain things, you have money, you have influence, you have a private jet, you have 5 million followers on Instagram, then you can qualify. If you are suffering, you can't be a God's general now. How can you suffer and be a good general? It doesn't add up. Because the definition of a general is a convenience man. It's the same thing with the definition of a king. In those days, kings went to war. They don't stay in the palace. They go to war. They fight. Now, kings, they are commander-in-chief. Commander, when of you would go? Are you following now? A lot of things have been twisted. I'm still saying, the subject of suffering is littered all over scripture. Look at Philippians 1.29. Let me end there. Let me end those. I just want to quote this Philippians 1.29. This one perhaps is the most striking that you will probably read of. Paul says, for to you it has been granted. Now tell this to your neighbor, for you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, Complete it. It has been granted. Tell your neighbor, receive it. It's a grant. It is what it is. It's all about scripture. There is, check every book of the literature, you see something that refers to suffering. You may not see the word suffering, and sometimes when you use suffering, um, the word in the King James is interchanged with words like permit. For instance, I suffer him to go, means I permit him to go. So when you are studying the subject in the King James, know when suffering there means permit and when it actually means actual suffering. I've stressed that enough. Let me continue my discourse. I was saying that the average atheist usually says things like if God is all powerful, God is all loving. God is all good. Why is suffering in the world? So, 
we are discussing the origin of suffering to provide answers such as where does suffering come from? Is God the author of suffering? Should we blame God for human suffering? We agree that God is all powerful, all loving, all good. We also agree that in a sense, suffering is evil, although that is in a limited sense. Because by the time we begin to investigate the subject, we will discover that some sufferings are good. I will teach you subsequent weeks the therapy or the benefit of suffering. <laughs> in Hebrews chapter 5, Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. What does it mean? What does it mean? If you remove suffering from the equation, you discover that uh, life will not be balanced. But we agree that eventually, suffering is not anything good. And if God is all powerful, why does he not remove suffering from the earth? I've seen Perez cry, and sometimes I wish that whatever is troubling him troubles me. I'm a man. I wish that whatever is troubling the boy comes upon me. For instance, if a mosquito is biting him, it's my wish that don't bite him, bite me instead. That's my compassion for my child. How much more God? If he's all loving as we claim he's and all powerful, why doesn't he just delete suffering from the earth realm? That's a question, a tough question, which we really have to answer. Let me progress here. I want to mention about three or four things that you should note fundamentally on the subject before I begin to answer the question. Notes on suffering. Number one, suffering is a universal and inevitable experience on the earth. Suffering is a universal, inevitable experience. What I mean by universal is everybody suffers to some degree. The rich suffer, the poor suffer. People that have menstruation suffer. People that don't have menstruation, they suffer. Amen. People will marry, that they suffer. You wait, they say, hey, God when you say they suffer. The old man suffers. The young suffers. The illiterate suffer. The illiterate suffer. People in the city, Lagos, city boys and city girls, they suffer. Bush boys and bush girls, we suffer. They suffer. You go to Canada, suffering, they there. You go to Germany, suffering, they there. You go to Dubai, suffering, they there. Suffering is a universal concept. Are you listening to me? No diesel to spare yourself. <laughs> the embarrassment of false hope. Once I just travel like this, or once I just marry like this, you will not discover that the two will just appear in another dimension. It's the suffering of a pregnant woman. It's the suffering of a barren woman. Everybody's got his own share of suffering. It's inevitable on this earth. You are hugging pillow because Kondi cut you for nights. You are single. You are suffering. No problem. Where you marry? You must be married for wife. It is suffering. You suffer. You they feel me? It's inevitable. It's universal. I don't believe in God. What's it about? You still suffer. I believe in God. You go still suffer. It, it, it's a breakfast that goes around. Do you get me now? Yeah, if I'm an atheist, I will no longer suffer. <laughs> if I can pray harder and love God, I will not suffer again. As long as you're on earth, suffering is a universal thing. Inevitable. When a baby is born to the world, the cry he comes out with is a cry of suffering. I don't come again. This world of suffer, suffer. Welcome to the club. Once he's born, he's born into suffering. It's inevitable. You can't avoid it. You can't run away from it. You can't hide from it. 
You live in Sodom or you live in Gomorrah. You live in Babylon, you live in Zion. You go to Jerusalem, become JP, Max Pro, JP. Suffering everywhere. Under Buari, under Tinubu, under Obi. Suffering everywhere. You can't stop living in a fool's paradise. <laughs> Agree now, accept it now. It is what it is. It is what it is. So, that's the first thing to note. It's a universal, inevitable experience. The rich suffer, the poor also suffer. Good men suffer, wicked men suffer. Animals suffer. Have you seen a dog cry? A bit of uh, Shake it. When a dog is hungry, you know by the sound it makes. Instead of barking, it moans. A dog. When you see a dog sounding like that, say, a bit shake it. A dog sounds like a cat. <laughs> Have you seen the lions in the Nigerian zoo? They look like bingo. They are so lean and so wretched. When you are a lion in the Nigerian zoo, it's a, it's a degree of suffering that is... Oh. They give you yam to eat, a lion. King of the jungle. Oh, 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 issue, issue. Just Or rats. Say, take this rat. We saw one rat in our gas office. Make a lion, they chop a rat. But even if the lion relocates to go to America, he will still experience his own kind of suffering there. America has very strict animal protection laws. You kick a cat, you can go to jail. But animals still suffer. Some of you are bought fleets to kill mosquitoes. You are suffering the mosquito. Animals suffer. You are killing chicken. How many of you cannot kill chicken because you are pitting the chicken? Some people are so sympathetic, compassionate. But if I ever say kill him, they go chop him, go chop the chicken. But to kill is, I cannot hurt a fly. I'm so nice, I can't hurt a fly. The fly goes to suffer. Plants suffer. The entire creation suffers. Oh yeah. Romans chapter eight. Put it on the screen. I think in verse twenty-nine, where it speaks about the groaning of the creation. You must understand on this side. Of eternity, everything here experiences a degree of suffering. Everything, including things that you may not even refer to as living things, creation. When we say landslides, floods, and tsunamis and earthquakes, it's referring to the suffering of the earth. Romans chapter eight, check verse twenty. Check verse twenty. 22. We know that the whole creation groans. Now, when it says the whole creation, it's not talking about humans. The groanings of earthquakes, the groaning of landslides, the gro- gro- groanings of, of tsunamis and labors with bed pangs. Now, when it says bed pangs, is describing the intensity of the pain of the suffering of creation. Are you following me? Everything on this side of eternity suffers. Everything. Everything. Suffering may not necessarily be physical. It could be emotional or mental. There's pain in the body. Sick people experience it. There's pain in the soul. Depressed people experience it. Both of them are excruciating pains. 
both of them will take sleep away, will make food not to be appealing. Both of them can make people wish for death. It may not be in the body, the suffering. It may be in the soul, but it's still suffering. It's still suffering. It's a universal, inevitable concept for those on this side of eternity. I'm not saying it so that you can say, ah, talk. Okay, oh, let's accept suffering as the normal thing. We should not bother alleviating it. That's not what I'm teaching. I'm only saying that if you think that by running away, escaping, doing something, suffering will not be absolutely eradicated. No, as long as you're on this side of eternity, it's a reality you will have to learn to deal with. So we are teaching you the subject. Understand what you should do as a Christian when suffering comes in various degrees. Understand how to react. Don't believe that if I can pray more, I can eliminate all the suffering. It's not possible. As long as you're on this earth, there will be some measures of suffering. Some of you suffer because you're in love. Amen. If you know love, you know go suffer. Yeah. The reason your suffering began when you began to love. You fell in love. You fell into suffering. Koto suffering. If you did not love, you will not suffer. <laughs> so if you think that if I do what is right and what is good, I will no longer suffer. Eh? I love my wife. That's why. I can share in her suffering. If she has an headache, I have one too in my mind. But if I don't love her, I can't suffer like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? So to think that if I can do well and do right, I will no longer suffer. There are some sufferings you will suffer because you are doing right, you are doing well. It's inevitable. Know and learn how to deal with it. Instead of trying to avoid it, or trying to escape it. That's the first thing you should note about suffering. Number two, suffering is not and will never be God's will for mankind. Suffering is not God's will for mankind. Suffering can never be God's will for mankind. It's a simple thing. Once you check Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, you can establish the truth that God does not intend for any man to suffer. He created Adam and Eve, put them in Eden. The plan was not for them to suffer. Suffering was introduced in Genesis chapter 3 for obvious reasons. The first statement of suffering, the ground was crushed for man's sake and man was going to toil and labor and sweat just to eat. That was not the original pattern. The woman was cursed. She was going to bed children in pangs, in excruciating pain. That was not the intention originally. God does not will for even the wicked to suffer. Cain killed his brother. God punished him. Cain appealed to God and said, Reduce my punishment. It is too much. God heard him. I said, Okay, I will reduce it. God does not will for anyone to suffer. No one. No Boko Haram, no bandit, nobody. It is not God's will. When you look at yourself going through any moment of suffering, never ever assume. That this suffering, it is the will of God. Never. That's not the first thing that should come to your mind. It can't be the will of God for you to suffer. Can't be. Can't be. If it is the will of God, people will be suffering in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is. In Nobody suffers in heaven. We know God's will by checking heaven. We know God's will by checking Eden. Who suffered in Eden? 
The only way suffering could happen for Adam and Eve was that they had to leave Eden. Are you following the logic? They could not suffer in Eden. Stop us. To experience the suffering, they had to, they had to chase them out of Eden. Eden was, it, it was, it was illegal to suffer in Eden. It was illegal. And that's the Eden, something greater that Jesus has, wants to restore us to. And most of these realities would not be in the age that is, but in the age to come. The will of God is not for man to suffer. Good men, wicked men, bad men, God does not delight in the suffering of any man. Any man made in the image of God, God does not delight in his suffering. Let me show you something here. God is not passive or indifferent towards any measure of human suffering. My own is depression. God is not passive or indifferent. My own is sickness. God is not passive or indifferent. On his temptation, God is not passive or indifferent. On his trial and persecution, God is not passive or indifferent. He's compassionate. He cares. In fact, he suffers with you. I also show you that God also suffers. I'm saying, eh? Eh. God also suffers. He suffers. Look at this in Judges chapter 10. And as I looked at this one, I was reading Judges some weeks ago. I began to pity God. <laughs> you know, when you understand God, you will understand the sufferings of God. Sometimes you will begin to pity Him. Ah, ah, God said, don't collect for this life. You know, I told you that love will make you suffer. When The way God loves, He suffers. His love makes, us, makes Him suffer. Judges to the 10. Let, let's see verse. The, the phrase I want you to see is in verse 16. But I will give you a background of the entire story. So they put away the foreign gods from among them. Now, okay, start from verse, from verse 13. I'd like you to follow the conversation through. Start from verse 10. And some Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served the bowels. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians? You know, when people cry to God and God say, Did I not? It means that their sin has happened so many times. And God is saying, You have come again to beg me, but this is how you always beg me. You will do something bad, you will now come and be begging. Because normally God is merciful. You beg Him once, God does not do, I told you so. When you see God begin to say, Did I not? Did I not? Did I not? God said, Don't tire. Are you following me? Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, from the Amorites? This is Judges 10. If you read Judges 1, Judges 2, Judges 3, you see at every chapter how Israel sinned and then they suffered. And they cried to God and God will raise a judge. After the judge does his work and there's peace, they will go back to their sin. They will cry again. God will say, somebody. It was a repetition. So by the time we get here, God was tired. Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, from the Amorites, from the people of Ammon, and from the Philistines? Go ahead. Next verse. Also the Sidonians, God began to give his CV. The Moanites oppressed you. You cried out to me, I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore I will deliver you no more. Everybody say no more. Look at what God now says. He said, go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. It's when you see God begin to talk like this. God don't suffer. Suffer from your hands. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. Verse 18. 
John Bishop said to the Lord, We have seen. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Israel too agreed that we have suffered God <laughs> to a point where let's not even beg him again. Let's just say God. It's true. How you want to do us, do us. Follow the statements closely. Only deliver us this day, we pray. Look at verse 16. So they put away the following gods from amongst them and serve the Lord. Look at the next statement. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. So when Israel suffered, even though they all because of their sin, God was suffering too. Are you following me? The other day I posted about some of you don't have children. So you find it easy in your mind to think about spanking a child. Man must shake it. When you bet your child, you will now notice that you are partial, you are biased. Don't beat him, don't beat him. Because his misery becomes your own misery. So somebody now wrote as a comment and said, I have seen mothers beat their child and cry too. As the child is crying, they are crying too. Because they don't want to beat the child, but the child will be beaten. And when they see the pain of the child from discipline, they also cry. And they cry together. I love you, but you should not do it again. God could no longer endure. He had said, go and pray to the gods that you are served. Go, go. Leave me alone. Go on. Go and meet this one. But as they, as, as, they were, as they were suffering, he could no longer endure. Next statement. Verse 17. Well, subsequently, God raised another deliverer. He said, I will not do it again. I will not help you again. But when he saw their suffering, he could no longer endure. God suffers when we suffer. Are you listening to me? God is not passive. God is not indifferent. It's just a menstrual cramp. The Holy Ghost inside you suffers too. He suffers too. Because he designed you for his pleasure. For his praise. He doesn't like you groaning in agony. God does not enjoy that sight. He is compassionate. Jesus went about fixing the sufferings of women. Jesus never saw somebody suffering and played blind. Do you suffer? Never. Never. It doesn't mean every time he wept like he did at the tomb of Lazarus. But on his mind, he was thinking of how can I alleviate the sufferings? How can I fix the suffering? Suffering is not God's will for mankind. Number three, things to note here. I've said it before, but let me say it and explain thoroughly. God also suffers. The first thing I said is suffering is universal. Second thing I said is suffering is not God's will for mankind. Third thing I'm saying is that God also suffers. I will explain. God suffers from the pain of our rebellion. Many of the sufferings that God goes through are emotional. How many of you have been in love before? Just be honest. Raise your hand. How many of you have suffered because of your love for somebody? How many of you suffered when the person you love did not pick your call? You suffered. How many of you suffered when the person you love did not greet you very well? You suffered. Okay. Now, 
All of that is what God goes through. Are you with me? God suffers. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 6. God looked at the earth and saw the wickedness and it repented God or God regretted that he made man. You think he repented and regretted with a smile on his face and said, Ah! And your tiburu, woman have become very wicked though. I will no longer strive with them. That was not how it's the conversation of God. God grieved. God suffered. When he saw the wickedness that had become of humanity, he pained him. Are you listening to me? God suffers. Let's not assume that suffering is something that God cannot relate with. No. <laughs> no. The Holy Ghost suffers when we grieve Him. Ephesians 4 verse 30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. The one who seals you unto the day of redemption. Now the word grieve means do not make sorrowful. You see, the Holy Ghost becomes sorrowful when you grieve Him. As a believer, you live in sin, you do unrighteousness, iniquity. That grieving that the Holy Ghost feels is a suffering. Some of us have this idea of the Holy Ghost as one abstract, non-living spirit. Robotic, religious deity. He feels pain. He suffers. He suffers. He's grieved. He suffers. And then, of course, Jesus, who was God as man, also suffered. Suffered. Born as woman. Had his first cry. I can imagine what it was like for Mary to give back. You know, Mary might have thought that, well, the child in me was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Probably he will not even cry when he's born. And then Jesus came out. Yeah, yeah. Say, ah. Say, the, the angel said that you are a holy seed of God. When they cry again, it must, Mary must have had some expectations about Jesus. That this child now, when he come, he will not cry, he will not be hungry, he will not poo poo, no need for diaper. He's a holy child. <laughs> and then the boy Jesus was born and was born like a normal child and he cried and felt pain I don't know if he was spanked something I'll probably ask Mary when I get to heaven did you ever have to spank Jesus? <laughs> did you ever do something that you felt was not proper and you had to spank him? that would be a good question to ask that not so? how many of you have questions you have listed them like when you get to heaven say, I will ask this one some of you are thinking if I can see Jesus today I will ask questions when you see him you will not ask questions. You just worship. You just say, Kabiyo will see. Because the splendor of his might and his glory will remove all the questions from your mind. Then secondly, seeing him alone will provide some answers. Just seeing him, you will be clear. <laughs> the Bible says we know in part, we understand in part. But eventually, at the other side, everything will be clear. The time is coming when everything will be clear. Are we still together? God the Father suffers. The Holy Ghost also suffers. Jesus also suffered in the flesh. A few scriptures here, Hebrews chapter 10. I'd like you to pay attention particularly to the sufferings of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2 rather, verse 9, 10 and 18. Because Jesus' suffering um, is the most important suffering of the Trinity. It is the most important suffering of the Trinity. 
Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor that he might by, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, that is the suffering of death was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of the salvation perfect through suffering. So Jesus was made perfect as the captain of salvation through suffering. Are you listening to me? He could not have perfected salvation if he did not suffer. The suffering in this context is the suffering of death, please. Not the one I was mentioning about suffering as a baby and all of that, no. The captain of salvation suffered by death so that he can give us salvation. If he did not suffer by death, he wouldn't have been able to save us. And of course, I've been saying that over and over again, that it was his death, as it were, that paid the price. His death, his resurrection, all those things accumulates into the price for redemption. Verse 18. For he that he himself was, has suffered, being tempted, is able to aid those who are tempted. So, Jesus also suffered through temptation. Jesus' suffering was not just death. His temptation was also suffering. Are you following me? That's why he can be a priest. That's why in the day you feel like having sex and you're not married, you can call upon Jesus who has also been tempted. He suffered like you. He can relate. Are you following me now? So, his suffering was redemptive. And uh, we will explain further in subsequent weeks how all of this is also part of the Christian theology, the sufferings of Christ. What did Paul mean when he says that am I knowing him and the fellowship of his suffering? What does it mean? You must understand the sufferings of Christ as an implication. The implication is so strong, Paul said, I wanted to fellowship in that suffering or I wanted to be intimate with that suffering. I wanted to partake in that suffering. But there are various kinds of the suffering. The suffering of temptation is different from the suffering of death. And all of those things must be separated. But Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered. Are we still together? By the way, if an atheist claims that suffering in the world is a proof that there is no God, he is actually contradicting himself. This is it. Are we still together? Follow me closely. From your opinion, is my tie straight? Look at my tie, please, everybody. Is my tie straight? Alright. Now it's like this. Is it still straight? Look at it very well. Is it still straight? The reason why you can know that a tie is not straight is because you have seen what a straight tie looks like. If you don't know what a straight tie looks like, you have no right to say something is not straight. Because what defines straightness? When an atheist says, if there is a God, why is there suffering? It is because the image of God in him affirms to the fact that suffering is not normal. And that is not something that was in the original plan of God. He himself, his conscience and his heart bears witness to that fact. That this thing is not normal. If there is God, his statement sounds like he's defying God, but he's actually affirming God. 
What he needs is not to be rebuked. What he needs to be explained to us. This is the source of suffering. This is why suffering still exists. But him saying that suffering is not normal is a sign that there is an image of God in his, in, in his heart. There are bears witness with the fact that this is not normal. But it's only the creator that knows what is normal. But there is a witness of the creator in every man. As a witness. The man may deny that there is God. But occasionally he will confess that witness that it's not normal. How do you know it's not normal? We didn't make the world. We didn't make the universe. How do you know it's not normal? Who told you suffering is not normal? Because a witness in every man affirms that this is not good. This is not normal. This is not fair. Are you following me? Permit me to arrange my tie back. Is this too straight? I don't like since ties that are not straight. It seems to irritate me. I always say, if you are wearing a tie, wear a tie. If you are wearing a rope, wear a rope. I tell you, I line that one. You're not lying. <laughs> Hallelujah. I wanted to end by seven. Let me rush. What is the source of woman's suffering? Four or five things I want to mention here quickly. What is the source? What is the cause? What is the origin? Of woman's suffering. What I want to say firstly is that God is not directly, listen to the first statement, God is not directly behind woman's suffering. If any man suffers, the first thing you should not think about is God is the cause of this suffering. God is not directly behind woman's suffering. Although there are statements in scriptures that suggest that God seems to be the cause of a particular suffering. If you say that Jesus suffered through death. And we read that God himself said he could not be a perfect captain of salvation except he suffered the suffering of death. You can easily say that means God is the one that caused Jesus to suffer. And yes, God was the one that sent Jesus. Who sent Jesus? Who sent Jesus? So, but by the time we now investigate closely, we can say that God is not directly the cause of any woman suffering. I will keep on explaining. There's a difference between God being the cause of woman suffering and God permitting or allowing woman suffering. There are two different things. God can permit woman suffering. God can allow woman suffering. But God is not directly the cause and the origin of woman suffering. No. No. If you leave it just at God, in the beginning, God, you won't see suffering. When we involve other matters, Satan, man, then suffering becomes a reality. But if you leave it just as God, you can't see suffering. You can't see suffering. That's why suffering will only end, suffering will only be on this earth. In the world to come where God is in absolute control, there will be no trace of suffering. No trace whatsoever of suffering. Are we still together? So yes, God permits. Somebody says, where is God? People are suffering. Yes, God is not going to intervene. Not yet. He permits it to happen. And there are many reasons he does that. One of the reasons God permits suffering, for instance, this is just by the way. Now let me put the scenario. If God completely obliterated the concept of suffering, Will Jesus die? 
If Jesus did not die, will man be saved? So, if God in Genesis 3 saw that man sinned and he said, okay, man has sinned, I will remove anything called suffering. Man has sinned. I'm, I'm banning the concept of suffering. There are some things he will not be able to achieve in redemption. He won't be able to. While we are not saying that God sends suffering to achieve his purpose, we are saying that God can use suffering to achieve his purpose. Oh, yes. God is that wise. He can use the suffering of the Messiah to achieve the redemption of the world that will eventually destroy suffering forever. God is that wise. So somebody says, if there's God, why is there still suffering? In fact, in the in the plan to save Israel, are you still listening to me? In the plan to save the physical Jews, one of the instruments that will be used is suffering. That when they suffer, they will cry out for a savior. Then their eyes shall see the one that pierced him. Or the one that they pierced, rather. And they will call upon him and acknowledge as his savior. Why we do not say that God sends suffering? We say that God is so wise, that even though he's not the source of suffering, he can use suffering to achieve a good thing. God is not indifferent towards suffering. God does not want anybody to suffer. It is not God's will that any man suffers. He suffers when we suffer. But God is so wise. That he can use suffering to achieve certain good things. Number two thing I want to say here. With respect to the source of suffering. Suffering began on earth when man sinned. That is clear. Sin is the chief source of human suffering. Sin is the chief source. The major source is sin. It is not Satan. Satan can exist and there will be no suffering. Satan was existing. Adam sinned and suffering began. Suffering did not happen because Satan existed. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Suffering happened to mankind, talking about in the realm of man, when sin was adopted. And for me, I think the most important thing I want to say in this direction is that what triggered the suffering or what... Let me say it like this. The suffering that sin brought was conceived in the womb of pleasure. Pleasure is like the opposite of suffering. Are we together? But the suffering that sin brought to this world was conceived in the womb of pleasure. So Eve ate a tree that was pleasurable. What it led to was abundance of suffering. Very, very key lesson. Now many of the things that are caused or many of the things that lead to deep suffering can actually start from something pleasurable. Something very sweet. So, when we subscribe to God's laws, the question is not, is it sweet or is it bitter? We must understand that since it is God's will for man not to suffer, even if we submit to a law and we suffer as Christians or for righteousness sake, it is towards the end that we will no longer suffer. But if we subscribe to whatever the devil offers us, the pleasure of sin, it will certainly eventually lead to 
a measure or some measures of suffering. Sin is the chief source of human suffering. Sin is rebelling against God's will. Since God's will is that no one suffers, man's sin is what exposed man to suffering. Let it be clear that God does not delight in human suffering. I've said that again and again and again. And even if keeping his commandments means that you suffer, it's not like God invented commandments to make you suffer. Are you following me? It's not like God saying, okay, how can I make life difficult for these people? Let me just invent a law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I'll just invent a law. They will not suffer with it. That's not how it works. Everything God does is towards alleviating human suffering, actually. If you break away from his government, what you do may be pleasurable for a while, but you will see that. Ah, eventually, it still leads to suffering. I want to say this on that note. When people suffer, even though we have been taught that sin is the chief source of human suffering, what we mean is the sin of Adam. Are we still together? The sin of Adam is the chief. You know we read in Romans 8.22 that creation is under the birth pangs. Pain. They groan. What sin caused creation to experience suffering? Adam's sin. Is that not so? It's not your sin. Fundamentally it's not your sin. Adam's sin made suffering a reality on the earth, such that animals suffered, humans suffered, creation suffered. The earth suffers because of Adam's sin. So, when we say sin is the chief source, fundamentally Adam's sin made suffering a reality on the earth. Are we still together? It does not mean that when people suffer, we should now be blaming them and saying, which sin did you commit? It is possible that a man is suffering for his own sin. But I'm telling you that almost every sin that you see that exists in the world today can be traced to Adam's sin. How do I say it again? The way you will get it. Now, by God's standard, I'm a righteous man. I'm a Christian. My righteousness is of Christ. Some of the things I'm suffering currently, I suffered because my parents were divorced. I grew up in an unstable home. Okay. Well, my parents would never have been divorced or never have known the concept of divorce. If the first man and first woman did not sin, and now make divorce a possibility. Every woman's suffering is a product of the original sin. Do you understand that now? It also means that it is possible to suffer because of the sin of others. John chapter 9, a question was asked. A boy was born blind, and they wanted to know who committed sin, this boy or the parents of the boy. Why would the child be born blind? Because the Jews were trained to believe that everything that is suffering is traced to your own sin. If you are suffering, what have you done? Check your heart, clean your heart. That's the way the Jew was trained. But it's possible for you to suffer and the reason why you are suffering is even because you are righteous. 
You are not suffering for your sin. You are suffering because you are righteous. It's possible. Why did Job suffer? Why did Job suffer? Because God boasted about him. In a sense. Satan now came and said, Ah, let me touch him. So, when we see people suffering, we should not have the first reaction of, which this one has committed, allegedly you, you can suffer not because of your own sin. Yes, you can suffer because of your sin, but you can also suffer not because of your, or because of somebody else's sin. The sin of Nigerian government has made Nigerians to suffer. Amen. But if we remove sin, listen, aside from the original sin, if we possibly remove sin from the earth now, suffering will reduce drastically, but suffering will still exist. Are you still with me? If I come and I slap Minister Sam, is it a sin? Some of you are not sure. If I slap, wait, 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 hear me If I slap Minister Sam, is it a sin? Ah, this answer, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. If I slap Minister Sam, is it a sin? Some of you cannot answer. Ah, dear Lord. It's a sin. You don't know it's a sin. Some of you, the churches you may start attending, your pastor will be slapping you. How many of you know Dr. King, a famous preacher in Nigeria, who used to beat his members? Some of you will gladly attend. But I'm asking if I start talking, you don't even know that it's a sin for me to slap somebody. It's a sin. <laughs> okay, if you don't know, it's not, your ignorance is not a crime. Let me tell you, it's a sin. Amen. Don't slap anybody you know, and say righteous anger. You can be angry and not sin. It's intact. Are we clear on that? Now, if I slap him, I have sinned. Will Mr. Sam suffer? Whose sin makes him suffer? My sin. Do you, do you get it? When Mr. Sam is suffering, don't say, hey, let's say, hey, Sam, you want to kill she? What did you do? You insulted PGIB? You disobeyed PGIB? That's not your, your first reaction should not believe that. Anybody that's suffering, it is because of their sin. It may be because of another person's sin. But if we remove sin, so if I stop slapping people, there will be less suffering on Minister Sam. Is that not so? Well, for instance, if mosquito bite Mr. Sam, will he suffer? So or even though I remove sin and I say I won't slap Mr. Sam, Mr. Sam will still suffer because there are other elements that you cannot remove sin from in that, in that sense. If the sun is hot, will Mr. Sam suffer? If I remove sin from my life, it does not remove the suffering that the sun still provides. So there is the concept of sin that causes human suffering, sin amongst humans, but there is a concept of sin in creation. When Adam sinned, human creation was configured in sin. That the waters can experience a measure of overflowing and drown human beings is a sin. The water sinned. But that cannot be removed. 
You can't preach the gospel to the water. <laughs> so that is still part of the inevitability of suffering. So even though we all work in love and we treat ourselves well, there are still other forces in the earth that supply suffering. Do you understand me now? So when we are talking about suffering and sin, understand it does not have to be the sin of the person suffering. It doesn't have to be the sin of another human being. It can be the sin of the earth. The earth is, is for you to plant maize and you put fertilizer, NPK, see NPK? Agrees to the NPK, it is because the earth is a sinful earth. Why? Which fertilizer did they use for, for Eden? Things just grow, sprout. Because in Eden there was no sin. So in this universe, it's not just about the sin of the woman, the earth itself. The, although that sin is because of the original sin of mankind. Because mankind, Adam was not just a representing Adam, he was representing the entire universe. So the whole earth was broken and reconfigured when Adam sinned. But we can establish that sin is the chief source of suffering. Are we clear on that? Wrong choices also produces suffering. Wrong choices that are not necessarily sinful, but maybe made in ignorance, can produce suffering. You see, it's something that Nigerian Christians don't understand. The person who travels on the road, because the road is not done well, has an accident that makes him lose his car or lose a part of his car. It may not necessarily be the moral sin of the government. It could be wrong choice in offering a contract using somebody that is not competent. Many of the sufferings of the current age is because of wrong choices. Not necessarily sinful choices. Wrong choice. Wrong choice. Wrong choice. My wife was telling me of a pregnant woman today who was sick. So she told her, you're pregnant, you don't just take drugs. But the lady did not hear. She went to buy Amala. Omu Amala. It's not sinful in that sense, but wrong choice. Uninformed or ignorant or stupid choice. They told you don't use it. You feel, what if I use it? It's not a sin. What is there? Many suffering is not caused just by sin. Wrong choices, wrong decisions can cause suffering. Are you following me? And then lastly, wrong habits. A lazy man. Laziness is not really something you can call a sin. Where lazy man will suffer, his laziness will make him suffer. A student who refuses to read. It's not a sin not to read, but you will suffer. When you see your results, E, D, E, D, E, D, you will suffer. It's not a sin. Is it a sin not to read? It's not a sin. But that lazy habit will cause suffering. Are you following me? 
I'm done teaching. We trust that you've been blessed by this teaching. We look forward to receiving your testimonies, prayer requests, and feedback. You can send us a mail at judamaye at yahoo.com. That is J-U-D-A-H-M-A-Y-E at yahoo.com. Till next time, remain in the consciousness of God's word and power. Thank you.